0: Glad to be with you all today. A lot of stuff happening today. Of course, it's Promotion Sunday for our kids. That's the Sunday in which they move up to their next classroom. I think there's a free t-shirt for all the kids and M-Kids today. Yay. Uh, of course, Typhoon Texas later today. And I'm also excited that you're here today for actually what is a unique standalone message and before I get going in it I just wanted to give you a heads up on something in case you missed the announcement last week but at the end of our time together today I am going to be asking you all as we say in Texas y'all to do a couple of things in order to take a meaningful step towards connection in Christian community here at Mosaic so just a heads up you'll know it when we get there all right But I want to take a moment today, actually, and talk about something and teach through something that's been on my mind been in my heart for a number of months and it's something that I think that by the time we get to the end of what I'm talking about today, you will be so encouraged by. You'll be so strengthened by. You'll actually maybe even think about the world a little differently because of what you're gonna hear. But to get there, I need to start here, which is to say something I think we all know and something we all feel that is reality right now. We are living through an incredibly difficult time in our nation's history, are we not? Yeah. Uh, and on one hand, without naming them, what we're living through is not as difficult, certainly, as some other moments in our nation's history, nor do I think it's as difficult as other moments other people in other nations are going through right now. And yet, and yet, we should not discount, I think, the challenges we're facing right now, the pressures we feel right now, and what this does to all of us right now. And especially for those of us who are asked to lead anything at Any level, you know, you know that you have been asked, we have been asked to make incredibly complex decisions in real time at a rate that is simply exhausting. I many of you do this, you feel this, and that that exhaustion, that decision fatigue some of you face. What many in the healthcare industry are facing right now, something called compassion fatigue, coupled with all the anxiety that our, our moment has produced, and the rate at which large segments of our culture have grown increasingly angry, toxic in fearful it's been simply overwhelming and if you're leading something if you're leading anything you're leading a business today you're leading a nonprofit today an organization of any kind I think you know what I'm talking about. For those of you with families, I mean, like just leading your family, just leading your your kids, your children to the last year and a half of schools or online education or wherever you, you've landed, keeping morale up, keeping your children's emotional health high and your family stable has been for many of us an extraordinary challenge. And if you're single, just leading yourself through so much isolation. There's so much distancing for so long. That's been debilitating for some of you, I know. Leading anything at any level right now is a challenge, and the higher level at which you lead, the more burnout becomes more likely. For example, I read this recently. Over the past year alone, these CEOs of these companies all resigned. CEOs of Disney, Lockheed Martin, Hulu, Nestle, IBM, MasterCard, LinkedIn, Volkswagen, Uber Eats, T-Mobile, MGM, and Harley-Davidson all resigned. Number one reason given, it just isn't worth it anymore. Now some of you are thinking, well if I got paid what they got paid, I think I could make it worth it. All of that is to say, I think we can understand where they're coming from. You can come to feel like it's just not worth it, right, because for many of you in many areas, if there's no decision you make that's not contested, moralized as an argument, weaponized against others, just trying to be a decision maker in this moment turns you, into the mind, in the minds of others, into a side taker. Having to be, let me just say this, having to be a decision maker in the middle of circumstances you didn't ask for or create, and doing that in the interest of others, that is not the same as being a side taker. Not. Now, I've been called on one hand for some decision I've made, something I've said or not said, done or not done. On one hand, over the past year, I've been called racist, uncaring about the plight of people of color, pandering to the fears of conservatives. Anything I've ever done to speak up for or help communities of color, minister to people of color, means nothing. People are ashamed of me. On the other hand, I've been called brainwashed by the liberal media narrative. A liberal myself. It's pretty good when you can straddle, I guess when you can be both at once. People are disgusted by me. They're going to go work in the community against me. And this is my personal favorite because they believe I only regurgitate liberal talking points that I belong on CNN and not in a pulpit you never know if it doesn't work out you know just kidding just kidding just kidding of course a few months ago I was on a zoom call with a number of pastor friends of mine and about a dozen of us on the call and one of them because of all the anxiety the pressure of leading something right now he had been hospitalized because of dizziness of the stress in his body. Another one had gotten COVID. He had lost 45 pounds, had been on a ventilator, and was still unable to speak. The same call another one had gained so much weight, so stressed he had gotten heart palpitations. His doctor told him that if he didn't lose the weight and get his stress levels under control, he would die. Another pastor on that call, due to his distress in his body, his liver had begun to fail. He had lost 60 pounds. Another pastor, a man in his 30s with four young children, had suffered so much as a result of a physiological reaction to the stress of leading in 2020, he now walks with a cane. Now, maybe this isn't you, I hope not, but it might be someone that you know. Or maybe it is you and you feel like you just can't get back to where you once were. How do we lead anything right now? How do we lead our families? Hmm? How do we lead ourselves, our teams uh, at work in the sports world, our community groups, our classrooms, our schools? Well maybe we should ask first, what does it even mean to be a Christian leader? Christian leader. Because I think, I think that right now, more than ever, our world, our city, our nation needs people, needs leaders shaped by some of the things you'll hear from God's word today. What does it mean to be a Christian leader right now in the midst of difficult times? And to answer that, I want to take a look at a particular letter that someone named Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul, you may know was a church planner in the first century in the Greco-Roman world, former skeptic, then turned missionary. And one of the letters that he wrote was to a church, the first century, church in the city of Corinth. And he answers the question, what does it mean to be a leader as a Christian of any kind? So Paul's aim here, in what we're about to read together and process together, is his effort to lay out Again, what it means to be a leader in general and yes, through hard times. And even if you're a guest today, uh, you're not a Christian today, perhaps if you're a skeptic, don't know where you are with Jesus today, I think, I think what you're about to hear is gonna be extraordinarily fascinating for you, intriguing for you, maybe even helpful to you today, if that's you, as you consider where you are with respect to the claims of Christ and as you navigate trying to figure out what kind of community we desire to be right here. So let me ask the question, here's my question today, what does it mean to be a Christian leader right now, even in, and especially in, tough times? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this, this then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives Of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored to this very hour. We go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth. The garbage of the world right up to this moment wow (laughs) wow how do you really feel about leading paul what's good about trying to lead anything right now especially as a christian right now is there anything good about it the answer i think is yes but it might not be just what you think and let me try to show you why. If you don't know or remember the context of this passage, 1 Corinthians 4, leave me, give me two minutes to set it up. You may know that Paul was addressing here a tear in that church in Corinth. Uh, the tear in the church was over which Christians followed which Christian leaders? There was the Paul party, the Paul Paul group, the Apollos, that was our early Christian teacher, Apollos party. Uh, There was the Peter party. Now, some of you are like, if I were there, I would have been a part of the Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party, come on. Don't stop, that's right. That was for all the charismatics in the room and I'm not done with you yet either. But the point is different groups of Christians identified with different Christian leaders. If this were today, you'd hear people saying stuff like this, sure, 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 I go to your church, but I'm really a part of the Stephen Furtick party. Some of you know that name. Or we're the Tim Keller party. Or we're the Bethel Redding party. Or we're the Tony Evans or T.D. Jakes or Beth Moore party. Or you name the person. And some were so spiritual they said this. Oh, you guys are so carnal with your super leaders, super celebrity pastors. We only follow Jesus. So yeah, today, today people listening to podcasts, reading books from teachers that they like, that's nothing new. But that wasn't necessarily the problem. The problem was these people in this church in Corinth, they weren't claiming allegiance to that leader, to affirm that leader. These groups of Christians were claiming allegiance to affirm themselves. As in, they really didn't think that Apollos was that great. They thought they were great for following Apollos. They didn't really think that T.D. That Jakes was all that. They thought they were all that. Following, liking, T.D. Jakes. See their identity, what they thought about themselves, came from the one that they followed. They defined themselves by the leader that they liked. And Paul says that is tearing your church apart. And Paul goes on to tell them, "Hey, you think there are benefits to following some super leader because you think his benefits." His privileges, his status, his identity, his popularity passes to you. Okay, that sounds good. If you claim to be a Christian then, let's see what actually passes to you. Let's see what the real benefits, the real status, privileges, identity of really being called a real Christian leader look like. And then Paul gives us a number of metaphors to describe what it means to lead. But I've only today got time for three. You say, of course you do. So today, right now, I want to look briefly at three of these. What each of these three metaphors for Christian leadership means. The benefit and privilege each metaphor confers. And how you can know why what Paul says is true. All right? What does it really then mean to lead as a Christian right now? It means three things. We're going to look at them briefly each in turn. Number one, say this with me. It means this. It means we are servants of Christ. Let's say it again. Come on. It means we are servants of Christ, but I want you to know right away, this doesn't mean what you think it does, and here's why. You probably know that most of the times, if you know your Bible a bit, that the word that's traditionally translated as "servant" in the New Testament is almost always the word "doulos." It means slave or bond servant. But Paul, Paul doesn't use that word here. He doesn't use the word "doulos" or bond servant here. No, no, no. The word he uses is another word completely. In the Greek, it's the word "huperetes." That's how you pronounce it? "Huperetes," which means under rower under rower, as in someone who's a rower on this kind of ship, on an ancient Roman galley ship. A rower who is chained to his seat and compelled to row and row and row, and Paul says, we are the hooperetus of Christ. For the hooperates, there was no leaving. For the hooperates, there was no quitting. For the hooperates, there's only rowing. Paul says then, this is how you should see me And yeah, maybe yourself as a leader. I'm on a boat, Christ is the captain, and I am chained to, sometimes even in chains for the gospel. Now, that means this. Means when you're an under rower, mean when when you're an under rower, you can't always tell where you're going, can you? You can't always see the way, can you? No, no, no. Your only job sometimes is to keep rowing and rowing and rowing no matter how you feel, no matter how you you like or not like the decisions that are made, and you do it for the sake of your captain, Jesus. Now, that's an incredibly challenging metaphor, isn't it? But in thinking about it, there's also an unexpected, incredibly affirming implication of it, which is this. It means this that what you do right now, how you row right now, it really, really matters. It really, really matters. You say, well, okay, Morgan, rightly so. Yeah, Morgan, the Church of Jesus, it'll make it whether I row or not. And that's true at a corporate, big C, capital C church level. But I'm not talking about the global capital C church of Jesus, I'm talking about the lower case C church where you and I, we are the hooperates, where we are the under rower, which means this. Your church, whoever you are, wherever you are, your church needs you. It needs you, it needs what you bring. Now, I don't say this to put any pressure on you at all, but only to say what I think This metaphor shows us is true, that you are more important than you think. You are far more meaningful to this congregation, to the people sitting in this room and online than you think. What you do absolutely matters. Your inner life, what you go through, it matters so much to Jesus and to his church. I'll I'll put it like this. If you don't row, the boat won't go. If you don't row, the boat won't go. And that is true in your family, right? Moms, dads, if you don't row in your household, the boat won't go. In your school, in your business, in your entrepreneur activity, if you don't row, the boat won't go. And so if all you feel then, right now, is that your arms are tired, it's okay. It's okay, on one hand, on one hand, you're in good company, right? It's okay, you're human, you've got limits. Everyone gets tired when they row through a storm. So come on, come on. Then my invitation to you today is this. Row with Paul. Row with people like Peter. Row with uh, James, John, Mary, Chloe, Philip, Timothy. And yeah, sure, maybe me. The person next to you. Your community group leader, our staff, our deacons. Row through the storm today. You and I, we are the hooperatus of Christ. We got work to do because we are servants of Christ. Number one. What else does it mean to be? a leader right now, leader right now. It means this, say this with me, please. It means we have been entrusted with mysteries. Let's try it again. We have been entrusted with mysteries. Yeah, thank you. And most specifically, because you'll notice the word is plural there, most specifically with, count them, one, two, three, doctrinal theological tensions that were new for the world in Paul's day. Because in Paul's day, in the first century, by contrast, for Jewish people, the idea of scripture as new, scripture as authoritative, that was a new idea. They already believed that about the Torah. Uh, And the idea of gathering in smaller communities, well, that wasn't new. What was new were three mysteries only now revealed in the Christian faith with the coming, the advent of Jesus. Uh, The Christians, three mysteries, Christians have always had to hold in tension. And the first two... Make room for the third. Let me show you what I mean. The first mystery now revealed is, sorry to use a big word here, the hypostatic union of Christ. It's a theological term. It means that Jesus is 100% both human and God, not 50-50, not 75-25, 100% God and human, The second mystery now revealed is the Trinitarian nature of God, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. One God in three persons. Only now, Paul is saying, can those mysteries be revealed. Oh, but those weren't the only mysteries Paul would refer to in his writings. The third mystery Paul referred to throughout his writings is over in Ephesians 3, 7, where he says that only now only now, with the coming of Jesus, he says, in the gospel is this mystery revealed. The mystery, that's the word he used, is the multicolored, multiethnic church that was once kept hidden but now it's been revealed that Gentiles, that's almost all of us are now heirs together of salvation with the Jews it couldn't have happened before not through Judaism, couldn't happen with paganism, but only in the gospel, Paul says, and there in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul goes on and on and on about it, and he culminates in Ephesians 3 20, where it says that God can do, come on you know this one, exceedingly and abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. Now, what I hope you'll see about that verse is that that verse is not a promise for you to quote for your new ride, for your new house, for your new boo, for your new vacation. Yeah, I said that. Although it probably wouldn't hurt you if you did claim that and all the charismatics once again said amen. Yes, yes, yes. God can't do in any area, certainly far more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's who he is. But right here, this verse, the more you can ask or imagine, isn't about money. It ain't about your man. It's about the multi-ethnic church. Why? 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 It was because that kind of church is so hard many times. It's so painful. Oh, but above all, it's a mystery with attention at the center of it. Like all divinely revealed mysteries, have attention at the center. If you try to resolve the tension, for example, at the center of who Jesus is, right? Is he more God, more human? That tension collapses. The doctrine collapses. Or if you try to resolve the tension of the three in oneness of who God is, both of those crucial doctrines collapse in heresy. And if we try to resolve the tension at the heart of the multi-ethnic church, the whole thing falls apart. And here's what I mean. That is to say... If we, if I as minister, pastor, if we only preach that our ethnicity is not important at all, if we refuse to acknowledge as meaningful things like our gender, things like our ethnicity, if we don't talk about the ways the enemy Satan has tried and succeeded many times throughout history through both people and structures to blemish and stain those things. If we ignore those things and say those things don't matter, the mystery of the multi-ethnic church collapses because we would be denying our unique humanity which Jesus came to affirm. We would be denying the way God has made us, us, you, you, me, me on purpose. God made you men, a man on purpose. Ish, that's the word he uses. Women, made you ishah, a woman, on purpose. He gave you, us, our ethnicity on purpose. Oh, but, but, if we don't insist first on our oneness in Christ, if we don't insist that those things, while crucial, are still secondary to what it means to be born again, clothed in Christ, the whole thing falls apart. Or if we lean too far left, we lean too far right. If we hitch our wagon, as a church, too closely to some group on either side, we forfeit what we're called to do. Paul says you must prove faithful as a steward, as a holder of the mystery of the multi-ethnic church. You dissolve it one way or the other, the tension goes away. See, let me tell you, we are one church, and yet we're distinct persons. You know, kind of like the Trinitarian Godhead. You say, okay, well, what's the benefit of this? Like, what what, what do I get for doing this? Here's your benefit. The benefit is this. The great privilege of those who are called as leaders in that environment is this. When you were called into the kingdom of God, you were given, Paul says, this gift of the multi-ethnic church. The multicolored kingdom of God. You get to hold on to something the world does not know how to do. We get to show, hear me, not just the church, but the culture around us, this beautiful, mysterious, things so that when they come near they ask what kind of a God could do this Paul says what it means to be a leader it means that you are entrusted we are entrusted with mysteries and we must prove faithful as stewards holders of those so I want to thank you thank you each and every person here for holding on to Proving faithful as a steward of those, Amen. And finally, number three, Paul says this: that we say this with me, please. We are a spectacle to the universe. Yeah, the word for spectacle is actually where we get our English word theater. Theater. Paul is saying somehow, as a as a Christian leader, not just this church, but not just to the surrounding culture, but to the whole universe we just might have something to say on the stage of history. You may know the name Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny's a writer. She's a Christian thinker. You should look her up. You should read her. And she was 18 when she broke her neck diving into some shallow water, and she became a quadriplegic lost the use of all of her limbs. And when she was in a rehabilitation center in in Baltimore, she was wrestling through the meaning of suffering and yet asking like we all do, why God would allow such a tragedy in her life. She met someone in a far more tragic condition than she was. It was a young woman, 17-year-old woman named Denise Walter. Denise was a 17-year-old high school senior. She was a very popular girl. Denise was a cheerleader, uh, super athletic, and one day she was going up the stairs at school when she tripped and fell because she discovered her legs were going numb. She went home exhausted, went home, laid down, and took a nap, and when she woke up from her nap, she was paralyzed from the waist down she was soon admitted at the rehab center where Johnny was staying and within a week of being admitted Denise's condition worsened Denise was now paralyzed within a week from the neck down in three weeks she went blind and four years later she died she had as it turned out a form of rapid progression multiple sclerosis And while Denise was in the hospital and her condition was worsening, Johnny saw hardly any visitors ever come to see Denise except for Denise's mother who would come and read the Bible to her over and over, but it was super sad and so lonely. And Johnny, Johnny, Tata, during all of this was very angry at God for her own circumstances. She was wrestling with God about why she was in a wheelchair, why she would never walk again. She was a Christian after all. Why me, she asked. Good thing none of us have ever asked that question. Denise, uh, excuse me, Johnny came to this conclusion. Johnny believed, she believed that there could be a purpose for suffering in the Christian's life because sometimes she knew from her Bible, sometimes it's only through suffering that we're able to change and grow and mature. Sometimes it's only through suffering we're able to become more Christ-like in life and see things that we couldn't unless we endure hardship, you know. All those Christian truths we say we know and pretend we love. But when Denise Walter died about three years later, Johnny was extremely angry about it because Johnny didn't see any purpose in Denise's suffering. Denise did not appear to grow anymore holy through her suffering, and no one saw her suffer well. She didn't get to be a witness to any people. Like, her story didn't go viral. It was only her mother who would come see her. But in the middle of her own wrestling, one of Johnny Tata's friends pulled out a Bible verse, an echo of 1 Corinthians 4.1. It's Ephesians 3.10, where Paul writes this, "...that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to look the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms." Then her friend said, hey, go look at Luke 15, where Jesus says that when one person repents like all of heaven, the angels rejoice. And then she could have, of course, turned to the book of Job, where it says that when Job suffers, it's like in front of this court of angels and and demons who watch what Job does, who see how Job suffers. In other words, Paul is saying this in Ephesians 3, how we handle our sufferings. And our difficulties affects heaven and hell in ways we can't even see. How we live our lives as as leaders, each each of us uh, Christians, affects the universe. And when Johnny Erickson Tata understood that, Ephesians 3.10, she actually wrote Denise Walter's mother a letter. Here's what she wrote. She said this. I am sure that the angels and demons stood amazed as they watched the uncomplaining patience of your daughter. Hmm. Now, what would it be like to get a letter like that? To get a letter that says, I shared a room with your daughter, and I saw things only the angels saw, and they stood in amazement and in honor, the suffering of your daughter, Hmm? What would it be like to get a letter like that? Now, I thought about that story. I thought about all of you, all of you online, all of us in the room. I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? I'd actually like to write you a letter like that for all you have done and been over the past year plus. And so, yeah, if you wouldn't mind right now, I asked our staff to get involved, and they helped create this for sure. You should see that note right there underneath your seat or on your seat. You can grab that and pick that up and it's open that right now. For those of you online, you should be seeing something similar on the lower third of your screen right now. So we wanted to say this to you as a church. I want to say this to you. It's Morgan Stevens, and lead pastor here. That nothing you do, no suffering you go through is ever unnoticed. You are changing the world in ways You can't even see. Thank you, thank you. Say thank you to all of you. All of heaven and hell is watching how we do this. So to summarize, summarize today, number one, those who are leaders are under rowers, under rowers. We've lost our freedom, we're chained to the gospel, but we have the privilege of knowing that what we do, how we row matters for the church. Second, those who are leaders are holders of a mystery. We get to show, not just to the church, but to the culture at large, something beautiful and brand new. And third, those who are leaders are a spectacle to the universe. We have the privilege of knowing that how we live every day affects heaven and hell in ways we can't even see. Oh, but how? How can we know then? Maybe you're asking, this is true. How can we know this is true? Here's how. You remember what this whole thing was about in the first place, huh? That people, people derive their identity from their leader, from the benefits and privileges that flow from that leader to those people. So, so, so what about us, huh? With whom, what leader do we really identify? Come on. Who have we really been talking about the whole time? who came to earth and was chained for us who lost his freedom so that we could live who rose- and drowned in an ocean of God's wrath so that God's mercy could come to us and we could live. Who was the holder of the greatest mystery which was that God through his own self was satisfying perfect justice so that perfect mercy could come to us and we could be members of his great big body and family and who became the greatest spectacle of all on the stage of Calvary hung between heaven and hell and who overcame because he simply didn't quit. Come on, it's our leader. Our leader. Our rescuer, Jesus. And therefore, 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 the greatest privilege of all, church, after knowing Jesus, is to know, though sometimes I wish it weren't true, <laughs> that all these things are true of me, and true of you, and true of us. That We get to row and change our church. We get to hold a mystery and change our culture. And we get to be a spectacle change the universe. Let me tell you I believe, I believe Jesus has called you and me into this framework of Christian leadership servant leadership and if you're a call to that which I believe you are then these things are true of you and me and us as well hope you can say amen. Let me take a moment and pray for us God I thank you for this unbelievably both yes challenging but affirming affirming passage that we get to change heaven and hell every day. That you're greater than our hearts, you know everything. And that you are able, according to Isaiah 40, to strengthen us when we're weak. Lord, and so I pray today for us, those of us who have been rowing and rowing and rowing at work and home and school with our families, our relationships, businesses, we're rowing and we've grown tired. That you today would renew our strength that we would soar on wings like eagles. We would draft on the undercurrent of your grace. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I've grown a little bit tired. I feel like all I've been doing is rowing for the past year. I need God's help and grace and strength. Would you raise your hand right now? I'm gonna pray for you. Yes, Lord. Who will I pray for these. Lord, for those whose arms have grown a little bit weary at the oars, being rocked back and forth in that boat, Lord, would you steady them, give them strength. We are God. We are rowers. We get, to, we get to navigate through choppy waters in tough times and bring one another safely into a better place. Thank you for that. Lord, would you be with us now? Bless us in Jesus' name. I thank you for all these. Oh, God's people said, come on, say it with me, please. Amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.